Amen. Thank you, Brother Dave. Miss Heidi, grab your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll look there again at verse number 9. Hope you grabbed an outline on your way in. If you did not, we're going to have our men come forward this time. They have an outline, and the final one for our series here on music. It's a little bit of a review as far as the outline is concerned. I'll, we'll go quickly over some of the things we shared last week, and then we'll finish off this evening. So if you need an outline when you get these men's attention, I trust and I hope we have enough for everybody. I think we will. And uh, children, uh, grab the outline, if you will, or on your own sheet of paper. Make some notes. We'll have the candy box here at the front, and uh, so you can show that outline and get a treat and things. Uh, Pastor Tony will be subbing in for me tonight, so he'll be do that, so take it easy on him, okay? And uh, he'll be up here, but uh, so I encourage you to grab those notes, grab the outline, fill it out, young people, and uh, we're certainly looking forward to seeing you up here at the close of the service, right? These men make their way to the back, encourage you to kind of uh, or grab one of those outlines if you can. We're talking about, what about other music genres? In other words, how do we know, how do we uh, discern is the, the, the great term we talked about and introduced last week. How can I know that I ought to listen to even a particular song, really? And uh, it would be nice if we can just say yes or no to entire genres, but that isn't always the case, and it really isn't that simple, okay? However, when we talk about this question, we made this statement, and we're going to get you a lot of these blanks right up front, so as far as the review from last week, so listen uh, quickly and write quickly, right? All right. Uh, the first one is this. The answer is both discoverable and obvious when we apply the truths of Scripture. That's an important key. We can get the answers, and that's, uh, I've told you before, I don't like questions where you can't get the answers. You can't find the answers. And yet, when it comes to this, we can find the answers through these questions we have about specific genres of music, about specific songs. We can, we can take what we're given in Scriptures. What do we call that? If it's discoverable, you have to use something, right? Well, we call it principled living, right? Principled living. What is principled living? Uh, you see it defined here in a very basic uh, statement. Taking the principles of the Scriptures through careful and wise application, gaining wisdom for living. And that would certainly include the area of music, uh, any form of entertainment, anything that I allow in my, the gates of my eyes and my ears, right? And uh, we turn to, uh, after considering that, we turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4, right? In verse 8 and 9, it talks about, finally, brethren, what's the true, honest, pure, just, all those things. And uh, then I love verse 9. You remember what verse 9 said? Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and see in me do. Okay? So now we're applying that wisdom. We're applying it. We put it this way, Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 8 and 9. You see the statement here. We are told to put everything uh, we allow into the gates of our ears and eyes through the filter of these things. Okay? Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So put them through that filter. The things that you learn, the doctrine you've been taught, run it through there, that filter, and that will guide us and direct us in our lives. And so we are encouraged to live according to the truths and principles. A second principle, not only Philippians 4.8, uh, as we looked at, was here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. It's a very small verse, isn't it? Look at it again, verse number 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We talked about the context, so we're not taking out of context. We talked about the context of false doctrine and stuff, anything that's opposed to the truth, um, and uh, specifically there, circumcision added to salvation and such, okay? So we understand the context of the principle is present, and what we derive from that is uh, simply this, it, it, when something goes against that truth. Verse number seven speaks to that, okay? It isn't in line with God's word. It can then be a little leaven, a little leaven in your life and your thinking and your living that can affect the whole lump of your life. 
Okay, as the pro- uh, statement here, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Okay, children, don't worry if you don't get all these blanks. Okay, second page is most important as we get there, and you can show us that. All right, and so just do your best. Right, but this is the this is the principle for living: little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and that's why in verse twelve he goes on. I wish you could just cut it out, get rid of it, don't have it in your life, and uh, it's a very universal principle, uh, a broad application in our lives, including the music we listen to. And so. As we try to answer that question, what about these other genres of music? We said this, that um, we are therefore called to discern whether it's a conduit, a channel for truth and righteousness, thus being spiritually nourishing, or is it a little leaven of unrighteousness? It's contrary to the truth, being more physically appealing than it is spiritually nourishing. And that is a powerful statement. Yeah, we derive that from the principles of God's Word. Again, uh, we could say other principles would apply here. What do we want in our lives? Things that are physically appealing or spiritually nourishing. Well, God calls us to fill our lives with those things that are spiritually nourishing, not physically appealing. And so the principle is found in here. Now, as we, as we looked at all the things over the past couple of weeks specifically, we looked at rock music, we looked at the foundation of music as a whole. So uh, understanding those things, these principles, then we come to this kind of concluding statement and uh, knowing its inca- incompatibility. Okay, big word. That'll take you an hour to write. Go ahead and try. Okay. Knowing the incompatibility. All right, with the truth of God's word, we must discern what? The corrupting influences of rock music, its style within the other genres of music that are popular today. We've seen, and it's safe to say, there's really nothing good about rock music, its foundation, its origins, its authors, those who, the performers, those who have uh, bring us that music for, have, have done so for uh, almost a century now, really. Um, uh, there's nothing good about it. So we want to identify where, where has it influenced the other styles and genres of music, being that little leaven that has negatively affected the whole lump, okay? We started by understanding kind of the background of music as a whole. We talked about some different types of music. The first one we talked about, right, was classical music, and uh, we said several things, observations about it is a music or art that has intrinsic value or worthiness based on objective um, value or beauty, okay? Uh, objective, not subjective, and uh, much of our music today is subjective, where we try to make it subjective instead of objective, okay? Objective beauty, a phrase used to describe the classical art is art for art's sake. We talked about that. Um, we also said that it stands the test of time, right? It, even today, it's still heard in ca- concert halls, um, symphonies are playing, and classical music, it's sold out. People attend, they listen to it all over the world. Why? Because it's built on objective principles of orderliness and excellence, it's built on those music principles we've seen and we've established in Scripture, which God has established. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. When you can go back and say, wow, these, it follows these things. And so it has stood the test of time because of that. And then in the broad sense, we said such music is written for beauty and symmetry form, not merely to please an audience. And when we talked about that is the motivation. It is written for beauty's sake. Very much classical music written for the beauty of music. <laughs> yes, certainly audience in mind but so many many of the composers of old now certainly <laughs> there's numbers that aren't saved and so some even wrote it for the glory of the lord you know and we think of handel and others who wrote such and just to bring god glory and, and that so uh, reality is it isn't necessarily written for the audience then we come to the other end of the spectrum remember this we talk about folk music and uh, folk music is a, has a social emphasis right and uh, very social oriented that social bond between musicians and the audience that common bond 
bond of belief and outlook. There's a sense of camaraderie, connection, fellowship. It's a music, we described it, it's been described as a music or art made by the people who know each other for people who know each other. And uh, that's a great uh, description of it, I think. And of this, that common bond, uh, in a sense, it's uh, a social sense, it's used to bring community together, right? We, we use the illustration of the Star Spangled Banner and uh, the rowdy of the uniting aspect of that, bringing community together. We also talked about what's commonly referred to as America's most famous folk song, This Land is Your Land, and so forth. We saw that. And we understood in its basic form there is simplicity to it, okay? That's the next blank here. There's a simplicity. It's characterized by such, okay? It's the music of the common people. It's written now kind of different than, per se, um, classical music. It's written and performed with the audience in mind. Ultimate goal being wholesome community feelings rather than artistic um, beauty. And we we talked about that uh, listening just a little bit to This Land is Your Land. And uh, it wasn't quite up there with the greatest musical performance. Uh, However, that's not its incense. And that's what does not flow with it. And so Kind of an interesting thing comparatively. We heard that quote about the comparison and how they both have good things to offer. So if you, uh, we also said folk music is simple and honest, both in the secular and sacred music. It's also some illustrations, certainly, of sacred. We'll speak some to that tonight, okay? That's what we covered last week. I know that was quick and uh, wasn't necessarily <laughs> expecting you to get all the blanks, but I didn't give you an outline last week, and so you can go back and fill those in uh, there, okay? What we concluded with was this statement, so we'll kind of use this as our springboard for the next step. We said that these two basic genres that especially in American history have been around and long before that we talked about in the Bible even Jewish songs and so forth there's much folk song there and such okay but uh, this is a very impactful in American history of song and music and such okay especially as you consider America was founded and originated uh, in the back end or the uh, as classical music had really already stamped its impact on and had really flourished, okay? And so now America was established in that, and much of that music was influential and impactful at that time, classical music was, okay? So we said that each of these art forms um, provide worthwhile music to enjoy and smile. One reflects that beauty of God's creation as it displays orderliness and uh, follows the principles that God set forth himself, and the other connects us. It joins us together in a spirit of fellowship and companionship. Now, uh, there's a third, uh, obviously more modern type of music. We call it what? Well, we call it pop music. Okay, this starts our second pop, our second part, excuse me. It's pop music, right? And uh, remember what we said pop is? It's just a small terminology for popular. That's all it is. The music that's popular, it's a very all-encompassing term. Uh, It means that it refers to the popular music of today. Again, broad spectrum of many genres, but what's considered popular music. And you'll see why we've kind of classified these three here in just a few moments, okay? Many different genres and such. Now, that that author that we quoted uh, last week, and um, <laughs> he, he describes it as this. He calls it an imposter and a parasite because it's based in deceit. Now, that's strong words, right? He says pop music, modern popular music today is, is an imposter. It's, it's a parasite. I mean, we know what a parasite is. It lives off another organism, okay? It steals from that organism and is often detrimental to that organism. So I think that's a fair assessment, as we'll see here in a moment. It's based in deceit. Why does he say that? Well, uh, it, it is non- undeniable that it borrows liberally from classical and folk forms. But at the same time, it's rooted, motivated with covetousness and selfishness. And we'll see how this plays out in a moment. But here, here's the point. Here, why do we talk about classical? Why do we talk about folk music? 
probably the two main genres of music that have impacted especially American music, but uh, music over the last few uh, centuries. And it's borrowed from those, and yet it, because of what it's rooted in and motivated by, it's kind of twisted those things. Okay, well, again, we'll see that. Pop music of today, it incorporates some of the qualities of these other two genres of music. Folk music especially, it's borrowed a lot from that. And uh, it, what is pop music? Well, it, it is a product it's a product produced to sell for financial profit. There's the difference in the motivation, the difference in the motivation. Its value is neither intrinsic, like classical, nor is it communal, like folk music. Its intent is not to bring community together. It's not to, to, uh, to build the bond and, and the, the connection there. That's not its intent. Rather, its intent is commercial. It's commercial. Um, it, it's all about um, the commercialism, shall we say it? It is a music or art, and kind of described in the same way as we did folk music, made by people who tend not to know one another. For people they do not know at all, neither have the intention of knowing. Okay? Uh, it's a very impersonal attitude. It's a very uh, disconnected thing. It's, it's all for the money, very much, if we were to look at it from that standpoint. It's maintained through, obviously, recordings, radio broadcasts, other marketing outlets, especially today, and selling songs and such. Okay? It's all about making the money, getting the golden record and, uh, uh, and such, and hitting the, the top ten lists and things like that. The problem here is that the artist is not held accountable to God for a transcendent standard of beauty, that orderliness, the principles of music. They don't see themselves having to answer to a God who created music. Uh, the overarching and clearly defined principles of music we have seen and studied ourselves, the orderliness, the, the, the clarity of the, the, the sending a the, the good message, a wholesome message as God would decide and would have music do. Okay? So they don't hold themselves accountable to that. Neither are they, um, are, are they accountable to a local community with ethical responsibility, much like you would see in folk music. Okay? The only accountability for pop music would very much be what? Does it sell? Marketability. Does it sell? Do people like it? Uh, do they enjoy it? Will they buy it? Will they spend their money on it? Will they come to concerts to listen to it? That's really the determining factor for them. Of Is it good music or is it bad music? They don't look at principles. They don't look at things and say, okay, is, is this right? Is, it say, is the message good? Is it uplifting, helping the community? Is it building people up? They could care less about that. All they care about is making the money. And the modern music industry is very much fueled and impacted and moved by that, okay? It's neither written or mar marketed to make us better people, and I think that's, in, that's important. It's not to draw us together, nothing like that. They're simply selling their CDs, now songs digitally and such, for the, good of the, uh, for the good of their pocketbook, not the good of the community, okay? So whatever, since whatever sells is the goal, the lust for, mon for money and, and, and making wealth finds its market in the lust of the consumer. Consumers. So they appeal to the lust of the consumer because they are trying to fulfill their own lust for money. And so they'll make the music appealing to the flesh, to the physical side of mankind. Okay? Because of that, they likewise, they reject appeals for propriety uh, or restraint in their music. Uh, have you heard when someone sings a song and, and boy, uh, somebody doesn't play it on their radio station or somebody says we're not going to sell that through our venue or our app or whatever the case, they will often cry what? Censorship. Censorship. You can't, you can't censor us. At the first hint of objective judgment, they refuse any standard that makes them accountable to anything but sales figures. 
Okay? Shock and awe with a lot of the, the rap music of popular music. Uh, uh, the how far can we push it? And uh, the, the degradation they speak of and sing about, they push the envelope. Because why? They, they, don't, they don't care uh, about any standards. What they care about is money and making money. It's what moves them and motivates them. It's far from what was the motivation of classical and folk songs. It's both profitable and crucial then for you and I to know the background, the origin, the foundation of these different genres, okay? Now, as we think about that background and foundation in the light of the biblical principles we learn, we want to ask, okay, what about other music genres? Okay, and, and obviously one of the big ones we often hear, what about country western or just country? What about southern gospel? What about bluegrass music? Now, it's important for us to understand it has evolved, mutated <laughs> over the years and such. Uh, it has changed. It has been impacted and influenced by, by different things. And so eh, we need to first identify, clarify, what are we really talking about? Is it the original folk style of these genres, or is it the modern pop style that has, uh, that, that has taken over many of the areas in these general genres, excuse me, of music? Okay? Which one are we referring to? Are we referring to some of the old stuff or, or some of the newer stuff where we could describe it that way? Okay? Not that all the old stuff is uh, necessarily good. The reality is, though, uh, we've we got to define what are we talking about. That's why I said it's hard to just dismiss a whole genre of music. It's, it's difficult just to kind of write that off other than like rock music and some things that are very clear and obvious that we have seen. Okay? You see, there's a folk style that's existed for many generations and that has been referred to as country or country western music and and uh, and some of that is wholesome and acceptable it's very much folk songs and such so uh, such okay um, many of us have heard of the grand Ole opry we've heard of different things and things like that the reality is there was folk music in the early 1900s that was labeled as country music and uh, country western and such okay sadly though it's been laid aside. It's really been left behind by the, what we would call the modern hybrid form of original um, uh, folk music infused, infused with the prevailing pop music. Uh, really a style of music, specifically the, the rock influence. It, it's changed. And over the last, I would say, seven to eight decades, as we'll see some things mentioned that here, now what we have today is what will often be referred to, don't miss it, as pop country. Pop country. Now, pop country, as we think about it, it uh, and here's the problem, okay? You say country, this person says country, this person says country, which one are you referring to? <laughs> you know, which style are we talking about? Is it the modern pop style that's been infused? It, really, over the past, as I said, seven to eight decades or which? And the modern pop country is a huge segment of modern pop music market today. Likewise, there's a simple southern folk gospel style that has existed for generations. There's songs such as, I'm using my Bible for a roadmap. The Twelve Apostles use it too. Songs like that that are old folksy song of southern gospel and have been around for some time, a long time, and in some different ways. Even in our scripture, there's some um, folk songs found there. Some have argued that Amazing Grace is a folk song. Certainly, Brethren, We Have Met to Worship is a as folk song of the old description of those. Sadly, though, these are far removed from what is called popular southern gospel music. The style that exists today, it's a hybrid form of the original folk style of music. It's, it has the prevailing modern pop style, again, infused in it, incorporating some of the elements of rock music. Okay? In a college um, music appreciation class, a gentleman wrote a book. His name was Ronald Burnside, and 
He wrote a textbook for that in the secular colleges, a, a music appreciation textbook. In it, he made this statement, if you will, and I think it's a very powerful statement. Here's what he said. He said, rock music um, should be understood both as a style, okay, so its own kind of style, its own uh, type of music with many sub-styles, uh, sub and as an era in popular music, an era in which a diversity of musical types have flourished. So that's interesting because he not only identifies now rock music as it, it, it's, its own genre, that's true, he says that's, that, that's the case, it has so many sub-genres or sub-styles to it likewise, but he also says there is an era that's come along in the music industry that is now what we could refer to as the music or the rock music era, and it has all different types of genres of music within it. It's a powerful statement because as you understand what he's saying, he's saying rock music has influenced modern music, different genres. In other words, that influence is widespread, it's broad, it's influenced many different genres of music within the music industry today. Therefore, it's appropriate um, when we speak of rock to understand it's not just one genre or style of music, it's a form that has invaded many prevalent styles in the modern era. Whether that be jazz, whether that be country and western, whether that be Christian contemporary, southern gospel and bluegrass. So if you and I are going to live principled lives, uh, specifically as it applies to genres of music, then we want to discern what are these corrupting influences of rock music? How do we do that? Well, the first question is, as we've already looked at rock music, we aren't going to go back, but what are, we never really talked about what are some of the defining characteristics of rock music, specifically that have infiltrated um, now modern music. Many different genres, they've come in. Okay, So you see here that Roman numeral, uh, some of the characteristics of rock music. Now, the style or form of rock Rock music is sometimes hard to nail down and define, but I'm going to give you four things that are probably universally accepted and recognized as being part of rock music, and these things have then infiltrated, impact, influence other genres of music. Okay, what are they? Let's listen, uh, look carefully at this, and a reasonable, per, reasonable person has to conclude that this is, these are true, and we see that today. Number one is this. There's a unique emphasis use of the dance beat, especially using the back beat or break beat, okay? And uh, for those who don't know what a break beat, you're with me. I didn't know what it was, okay? It's a reference to electronic music that uses a drum break or a drum beat placement throughout. So it's a, that background beat that's added to it, okay? So this is one of the prototypical characteristics of rock music, one that has been passed on to different genres of music, country, southern gospel, Christian contemporary, many other things, even bluegrass. They've adopted this beat. And one of the things that's prevalent about rock music is that beat. We talked a little bit about it. We haven't talked, I didn't talk exclusively about it a lot more we could say about it but that beat the powerful beat the controlling beat the addictive beat physically is a huge part of rock music and so now we see that this is one of the characteristics that has now been eh, assimilated into other music we'll see some instances of that or hear about them here in a moment number two there's also an emphasis on the amplification big word of the bass or rhythm instruments 
Okay, again, what do we talk about? The orderliness, the balance of the melody, the harmony, and now the rhythm. And here's the rhythm things. We talked about this already, how rock music is this out of balance. The rhythm instruments, those, uh, the big bass sound uh, instruments, the trap set, the, the bass guitar, okay? And uh, we will often talk about is, are there certain uh, instruments that are, are is, is there an evil instrument, sinful? There's um, different types of churches that won't allow any musical instruments in their churches, Okay, well, a musical instrument, as we've seen, that's pretty amoral. The reality is how you use it. Unfortunately, there are some instruments that have become to um, be associated with wrong things. Okay, let, let me give you some illustrations. There are things down through the ages and, 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 uh, that, that we can say, okay, that has become to be associated with something. And that's why we try to steer clear. Does it mean that that thing is wrong per se? No, okay? But it is a reality of how it is used and, and how it is abused often kind of, ugh, okay, ugh. You know, it just makes it terrible. For the longest time, my grandfather um, hated pool, pool table. He didn't like it. And I remember that he would always, he, they, my, my mom's family, they just, they wouldn't have anything to do with the pool table and so forth, okay? So, well, why in the world? What is that? Is there anything incessantly wrong with the pool table? Pool tables of Satan. No, that's not true. Okay, why? Well, my grandfather, he grew up and before he was saved in a pool hall. And he was around a lot of things that were anti-Christian that happened in a pool hall. And uh, he didn't want to have any memory or any reminder of those things. You know what? I respect that. I think that's a good thing, okay? Didn't mean the pool table was wrong, but it was certainly a reminder for him, and so I'm glad he avoided that, had nothing to do with that. Things become associated things. That's why you say, hey, you know, um, are we ever going to have a drum set? Well, no, we're not. These are what it's become associated with. And there's very little use to it, honestly, in my opinion, in the music that we sing and play and things like that. And so it has become associated with what? Rock music. Clear association. So uh, we see that throughout many things, and we see the application of it, okay? Why? Because they use such an instrument, a drum set, whatever, trap set as it's called, to emphasize, as we've seen here, the amplification, okay? And uh, we don't typically don't use the huge, big amplifiers. It's amazing, too, as rock, as rock has grown, guess what has also grown? The size of their amplifiers. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, it really has. I mean, you look at, you know, the amplifiers and what they produce today are just whoosh, getting huge. Why? The amplification. They want to get that beat out there and uh, to affect people physically. It, it's not by accident. It is on purpose. Okay? And that's one of the things here. Number three, there's also uh, a, a quality, a characteristic about uh, rock music in which the performance style emphasizes the performer more than the song. Now, we all have to admit, in modern music, this is huge, isn't it? Okay, it's all about the performer dancing on stage. It's all about the performer singing up there and so forth. And, and you know, what, what happened in, I think, the 1980s were probably bad for this, um, music videos. It's all about the performer. It wasn't about the music anymore. All of a sudden, we got now all these music videos that have come on, MTV and other things, promoting and pushing, not the music so much as the performer. And pushing it uh, <laughs> down our throats. And uh, that is huge today. It's all about the performer, not necessarily the music. And so that's a big part about rock music. It, it amplifies not only that, that uh, rhythm and such, it amplifies the performer too. Okay? Another aspect of it is this. There's a, uh, a style of singing which is built on sensual elements. Okay, or tools. What are some of those sensual elements? They're scooping, sliding, wailing, screaming, and cooing. Okay, at this time I'm going to have Pastor Aaron come up and demonstrate. 
Okay, maybe not. I thought about it, but we won't go there. Okay, so that way, you know, we laugh. Why? Because I don't know in church, okay? But this is one of those elements, uh, characteristics of rock music that is now being adopted into many other genres of music. It's impacted pop music, the different genres, okay? It's a dangerous thing. Why? Because it, we've seen, what does rock music appeal to? The flesh, the physical, the immoral, the sensual. And so if we adopt some of these things, these styles of performance into these other genres, it is a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. Herein is the danger. We take these things from, from uh, a, a clearly anti-God. We saw that. Our study of rock music was on purpose. You say, why do we pick, uh, pinpoint rock music? Because of its influence on pop music today, many genres. So we can identify what is wrong with rock music, and then we come over here and say, now wait a second, rock music has influence, it has impacted all of these different genres, whoo, I need to step back and apply some biblical principles, say, maybe should I listen to that song? Should I listen to some of these things? Is, is that not incorporating some of that leaven into the whole lump? Yeah, this is, just gave you four things, it's certainly not an exhaustive list, because there's many offshoots of these elements and you could take time and study them and such, but they're good identifiers of where and how rock music has infiltrated different music genres, okay, and much of pop music. So we want to discern, discern how these have infiltrated and influenced genres of music today. Now, time will not permit us, nor do I want to carry on the music series very long, so we will not, will not look at every single music genre, whether that be um, uh, Southern Gospel, Christian Contemporary, jazz, and other things to see the impact, okay? So, as I've said before, and I have been asked specifically, okay, let's look at what we call country, country western, okay? Um, <laughs> Specifically, um, country music, is it still the same as it ha was with its folk music roots? What about the country music of today, and for that matter, the country music over the last seven to eight decades? Is there still some wholesome and acceptable aspect of it, or is it more of a new hybrid uh, of the leaven of rock, the pop music we've seen? Okay? So I think the best thing to do, as I did with rock music, is not for me to give an opinion. Let me just share with you what some of the rock musicians, country musicians, country writers, they themselves, even their own music critics, say about it. Okay? Notice this quote, and I'll give you several quotes here, and uh, we'll kind of bring it to a close. Okay? The first one says this. In the late 30s, Roy Acuff okay, and others began to shift toward the pop-like solo singer plus band setup. While western swing bands in Texas began to borrow from blues, jazz, and even polkas. The honky-tonks of the 50s and 60s, the music of Hank Williams, George Jones, Loretta Lynn, and Merle Haggard, is now seen as classic country, although in its day it was considered a dangerous hybrid in its time. That's a powerful statement. The 50s and the 60s. So what you'll start to see is that for many of you uh, during your lifetime, my lifetime, there is a huge change already taking place in many ways. It goes on, the same quote says this, Meanwhile, and uh, meanwhile, young country musicians like Chris Christopherson and widely ignored veterans like Willie Nelson and Wayne Jennings began to forge non-Nashville alliances with rockers. By the 70s, great decade, a lot of good things happened there, uh, country rock 
played by rock musicians and outlaw rock played by country musicians were becoming virtually, you see that next word, indistinguishable. Hmm. Rock music, musicians started to play some, uh, some uh, country music. Some of the outliers, the outlaws of uh, country music, they, their music started sounding the same. The incorporation of some of these things we just talked about a moment ago. Okay? This was given to us by Rolling Stone's Encyclopedia of Rock and Roll. Understanding the very impact that rock and roll had on different genres, okay? And uh, uh, many of you probably heard of Conway Tritty, uh, Twitty, excuse me, and uh, a somewhat famous uh, country musician. Here's what he said. He said this, as a country artist, I'm not proud of a lot of things in my field. There's no doubt in my mind that we are contributing to the moral decline of America. Isn't that a powerful statement? I mean, it really is. From one of the leading country artists in the 1970s, Late 70s, early 80s, he told People Magazine that, you know, we're contributing. Why? Because he saw some things happening. Now, I find this interesting. Here's what we would call an expert in music in some ways because of how she uses it. Notice this quote, if you will. It says this, okay, by a lady named Barbara Ann Scarantino. But while most other music forms are not addictive, rock music is, and I'll tell you that goes a lot to the beat and the appeal physically. Many people insist that they can't get up to anything but rock music, okay? And uh, isn't that interesting, right? And uh, sadly, many t- today, many athletes will listen to rock music before they perform a game, uh, athletic competition. They'll listen to rock music. Why? Because they want to get up. They want it to affect them physically. And man, what, what a clear testimony of where it affects, what it speaks to first. And so they'll listen to that to get pumped up, shall we say, okay? And uh, we hear that certainly associated. But notice what she goes on, okay? Rock is addictive because of the drumbeat has gotten increasingly louder over the years and overshadows the melody and lyrics and other instruments. This beat has even found its way into country music. Now listen, you say, well, that just must be a Christian pastor fanatic um, who's just anti-music. No, she's not. In fact, if you'll notice here, she's a consultant, a music therapist who uses all kinds of music and refers to them as being therapeutic. In a book entitled Music Power, Creative Living Through the Joys of Music. She'd be pro all this music, pro country, pro rock. She'd be, she'd be pro music, and she in her mind would say, oh, there's a proper place to use it, and so forth. And yet she readily identifies the beaten rock music. It outshines and out, uh, outplays, shall we say, the melody, the lyrics, and other instruments. It's also a beat that has gotten into country music. William Schaefer, in a book called Rock Music, he said this, many rock performers grew up with country and western music, and its characteristic forms and sounds are close to the ensemble sound of rock. Now, that's an interesting statement. He said all the sounds that kind of associate with rock, uh, they grew up with them, and uh, all those things are good. Instrumental combinations, techniques are closely parallel. The division between country and western and urban pop has now blurred almost to vanishing. You see where he went when he wrote that? 1972, before I was born. He said, listen, these, these lines are being erased. And here's another one that says, and, and I like this statement because this quote, because it does reference, this is 1994, it does reference how the, the blurring of the lines in some even uh, pop rock music performers that are around today. It says this, today's rock is inescapable. Country music? Well, that's just middle-brow rock with pedal steel veneer. 
Reba McIntyre could use the same sterile jackboot drum tracks as Aerosmith or Snoop Doggy Dog. What is this saying here? David Gates, he said this in 25 years later, we're living in Woodstock Nation. Okay? He said this to Newsweek Magazine when? 1994. What's the point? Well, the difference in music genres is now indistinguishable. You can't perceive it. 1990s, it's, it's being erased. Hey, you could use the same music Reba McIntyre can sing to that as Snoop Doggy Dog could. <laughs> Doggy Dog. Uh, and uh, any of these pop artists, modern, modern artists of rock music and pop music, they could, they could use the same track to sing to. You say, Pastor Henry, uh, what about these music genres? Can I just tell you the safest way to look at it and answer that question is take the principles of scriptures, identify what we know is wrong in rock music and such, and then see where it has infiltrated other music genres. Where's it at? What's it doing? What's it emulating? What is it taking from something that we know? Uh, it's pretty clear where this stands and what it is. And if this is borrowing from that, if that's taking from man, I don't want to have anything uh, to do with that. Another quote, and share several with you here. Um, it says, most of the country club band have played with uh, tw- tw- uh, twits excuse me, um, since the honky-tonk days. The contrast between these dives and the space-age stage is as great as that between the bluegrass they played then and the country rock they pound out now. Uh, Travis Twit um, there, Tritt, excuse me, um, and his band that played with them. Did you notice what the quote says? Even as he was, a, the, the era, the times, the decades in which he was a performer, things have changed. What they played before is, boy, that's totally different than the country rock that they pound out now. That's 1994, okay? Let's make a little bit of a, a, a separate point, okay? Um, country lyrics have intimated sensual relations. Uh, I've substituted that there for a more offensive statement. Promiscuous relationships likewise there. The back streets to romance have always been a part of country music. Now that's a, a rather damning statement, a condemning statement. Charlie Monk made it. He was the head of April Blackwood's Nashville Division, a music publishing company. He said that to, to Billboard in 1980. Now here's the point. Okay? Um, there are folk songs from centuries past that no Christian ought to listen to and things that lead us to think about lyrics and intimations of things that, that, that no Christian who's trying to think godly, Philippians 4.8, should have. So uh, I say that to say this. When we mention like folk songs and even classical, you know, classical music, there were there are some composers I wouldn't want to have anything to do with. Yeah, they, they didn't know God. They didn't love God. And they lived promiscuous living. And boy, there's things I, I don't even think about and, and be associated with or know about. There are things with old folk songs, folk songs gone by and such. Boy, uh, no Christian should listen to that. And here's the point. Even <laughs> this is pretty, uh, pretty interesting statement. When Billboard first began to list country hits in March of 1939, they noted that for the sake of good taste, some popular hillbilly tunes with a double meaning. And, and the term here specifically means one being sensual, socially unacceptable, kind of a hidden meaning, a second meaning, had been purposely omitted from this column. Now, that is a, that is a crazy statement. 1939, uh, when Billboard starts listening to these top tens and their, their country hits, they said, we've left out some of the folk songs, the hillbilly songs, because of their double meaning. Now, can I just put it this way, Okay. We are not alone as Christians li- living in an era where we have to have discernment. Uh, 
Can I tell you that as long as Christians have been around, as long as music's been around, Christians have had to be discerning with any genre of music. Christian, secular, sacred, you name it. And it didn't matter the genre. You still had to be discerning and applying the principles. That's why at the beginning, that's what I said, principle living. We've got to live by principles. We've got to be Christians who say, okay, God, what do you want? What, is, what pleases you? What does your word say? And I want to apply it on everything. Does that get hard and tedious? Yes. Yes, it does. Yet, can I just tell you, it is so very important for our souls. It, it's important for us. It's, it's so crucial for us to protect ourselves, to keep us pure and holy, even as our Father which in heaven is holy. There's a challenge for you and I to say, you know what, there's no genre really you can say, oh, that's all good or that's all bad in that sense, other than maybe rock and some things that have come from that uh, in that sense. But we have to use discernment, okay? Notice this next statement. <laughs> How many of you, my generation and older, remember Paul Harvey? One thing I always appreciate about Paul Harvey, he didn't mince words, did he? So you'll see a quote here in a second. He was addressing the country radio seminar, okay? So you can imagine a bunch of country artists, country guys, and the radio and so forth. 1980, he was addressing them. Here's what he said to them, and I find this rather humorous, and you can kind of... Paul Harvey doing it, probably put it into the form of the rest of the story. Um, But he said this to them. He said, much of current country music is pornography of the airwaves. 1980. And again, Paul Harvey wasn't one to mince words, right? He kind of called it like he saw it and often very conservative. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know any of that stuff. But the reality is he says, you know what? The country of today, 1980, it's got pornographic. Now that should at least, as you and I as Christians, cause us to sit up and take notice. Wow, 1980? He's saying this. Whoa, wow, goodness. Okay, now this quote is on your handout, and I find this, again, another condemning statement in a sense from one of the performers here, okay? Um, Country music of today, okay, the country music of today is really the 50s rock and roll, the music we had back then. Who said that? A rock musician, Little Richard, we talked about him when we talked about rock music, okay? He said that to Regis and Kathleen back in 1994. So notice what he says. The country of today is like the rock of three or four decades ago. Again, that's a, that's a, that's a challenging statement. It's a scary statement. The degradation, the impact that rock music has had on different genres. And again, this is just an example of one country and country western. Okay, um, Here's another one, and I, I hesitate to use it, but I think it's just so powerful. Um, those of you who've been alive for the last two or three decades, if you knew anything about country music, you've heard of Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks was interviewed by Barbara Walters on an ABC thing. He was such a big deal, and he was interviewed on mainstream TV. And as he did so... She asked him about country music concerts. This is what he said. He said, one word, the only way I can describe country music concerts when he plays one, and I apologize. He goes, I apologize for this. He says, it's like an immoral, intimate relationship. Adults here, he used the three-letter word. He said, that's what it's like. Man, when I get up there and I sing and I, I perform my song and, and it's What? Sensual, immoral, intimate relationship. One of the premier country artists of his day uh, describing it as such. 
Notice this quote, if you will. Chet Atkins, many of you who maybe know history of country or been around for any time know who he is. He, uh, this is a statement. If he hadn't married Twang to a drum kit, in other words, took the beat of rock music, married it to the Twang of country music, he producing a, therefore, a commercial, marketable sound, where would the industry be today? Well, it would be someplace that might make hillbilly music Puritans happy. Isn't that an interesting statement? Those who are conservative and they're following the Bible and the Puritans. But it sure wouldn't be on TV. It wouldn't be on radios everywhere. Department stores on Letterman and special commemorative issues of national magazines that are published by big multinational corporations based in New York City. For all of this, we can thank or blame Chet. Charles Hirschberg, Robert Sullivan, the article, The 100 Most Important People in the History of Country. It was a Life Collector's Edition, The Roots of Country Music, 1994. Who was Chet Atkins? Well, he was one of the more famous country music stars in the mid-1900s. His name was Chester Burton Atkins. He was known as Mr. Guitar or the Country Gentleman. He was an American musician who, along with Owen Bradley and Bob Ferguson, helped create the Nashville sound. What is that? The country music style which expanded its appeal to adult pop music fans. So in other words, he knew exactly what he was doing. He decided to go borrow from rock music, 1950s by the way, incorporate it into the country music of that day. And again, we've talked about the 60s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s being huge for America and the revolutions and many different things affected in many different aspects and music was no different. And it changed because they began introducing some of that, okay? Here's the second outline on this, and this is a rather interesting statement. Eddie Arnold, um, he was a famous country musician of prominence in the 1950s. He was also a very much a writer of country music, and uh, he wrote some 140-plus songs, some of them famous and performed by others. He performed them too. Uh, this is what the same Life book said, uh, the same um, one about the 100 um, famous people in country music. This is what it says about him. Eddie Arnold once described his own country music as, quote, a little country, a little pop, and a little folk, and it all goes together. Now, isn't that interesting? He admits, yeah, we've taken this, we borrowed from this, we're going to put it all together, and we're going to make it marketable. We're going to put it out there so people enjoy it, and, and they can um, uh, consider that, in a sense, their music, their country. An amalgam, a mixture of all these things. Same book, that life book, it says this, Dwight Yoakam. Another um, familiar country artist uh, describes his uh, contribution to the history of country music. Says this: He brought the rock sound of the '80s to country music. Do you understand what that just says? Okay. So uh, in the in, in the '80s, they were saying they brought the '50s music. Now they've taken the '80s rock music, and now it's in country music. So let me ask you this. What do you think country music will be 20 years from now? The rock of today? Pop music of today? It's amazing how slippery that slope is when we think about music and such. Okay? So here's the question. So we come to a conclusion and we end our series and our message. So when we're asking, discerning whether we should listen to a specific genre of music or maybe even a specific song, and I think this is so crucial. Again, I've had so many people ask me, adults and young people, what about this type of music? And I often say, well, let's look at 
specific music within the genre anymore, unless rock music or one of its sub-styles or sub-genres. I think those are pretty easy from a biblical standpoint. But I think it's crucial for us to ask, even about individual songs, even a folk song, maybe some other things, okay, has been influenced by rock music, is it flesh appearing in style? The question really then is, how much leaven is too much? Now, the Bible has answered that question for us, hasn't it? How much leaven is too much? A little. That's what the Bible says here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. You allow it to be infiltrated and allow it to be impacted and influenced by just a little bit of leaven, and boy, it can make the whole thing. And can I just tell you, sadly, and it is sad, much of modern country, even some modern folk songs, and disappointingly, much of modern southern gospel have adopted the market-driven philosophy. They've also borrowed from the rock styles in different ways, uh, just simply making them a subset of pop rock music. You see, the elements of rock music are certainly incompatible with the Christian walk, a life lived and walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. You and I are called to be Christians, and what are we called to be Christians? Mature Christians of full age. How does Hebrews chapter 5 describe it? Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to do what? Discern both good and evil. You want to live a principled life, excuse me, you want to live a principled life, the way you do that is through saying, okay, Father, I want to know the principles of your word, help me to learn them, and then help me to be discerning in applying them. Living them out to every aspect of my life and making sure that I am pleasing you in all things.